Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, Mark Batterson, great, it's a great book. And who's, who's been reading this so far? A lot of people. It's full of really good stuff. And it really what he's, he does is what John said before. He, he encourages us to, to think about when you pray, not just saying your prayers, not just going through some format of words and hoping that somehow that gets higher than the ceiling, but to be bold, to be specific and to be persistent. That's where we've got so far. And, and he's got some really great ideas and great stories and inspiration to help us to be able to do that and to be able to read it and to de- study it and discuss it. And when you read the book and I'd encourage you to do so like me you'll probably find one or two things in it that perhaps you don't agree with and you know what that's okay because I don't have to agree with everything somebody says to be able to learn something from them in fact I've read some books and I disagree with the vast majority of it, but I found something amazing, some great truth that's really helped me in there all along. If I only read books, I read a couple of books a week. I'm always reading. I love to read. If I only limited myself to books that I felt I could 100% agree with, I'd have a very small library and a very small brain. Readers are leaders. If you want to grow, if you want to grow spiritually, read, first of all, read the Bible. Because, you know, Christian books are great, but they're no substitute for this. If you're not a big reader, you've got no excuse, to be honest with you. There's things called audiobooks. And now you can download a thing called version. You can listen to it on your phone. It will be read to you. We do that, in, myself and Zoe, every morning. We, we, we read it and we listen to it at the same time. We read the Bible every single day. I encourage you to do that. I read, I read a book this week by a guy called Rob Bell. Mostly hated it, to be honest with you. Some of it, I thought, that is the best thing. That is an amazing insight. You know what? You know what maturity is? It's being able to eat it and spit out the bones. That's really what it is. It's not just I'm only going to eat the things that I 100% agree with and and all that kind of stuff. We've got to be able to to chew things over, to discuss them with other people, to be able to learn from other people. And as we do that, we grow. As we change, we grow. Not just by always having to be some, you know, read everything that just agrees with us. But I want to be sure about this, just in case anybody isn't clear. This is the Bible. This is the Holy Bible, I believe. I believe it's inspired. I believe God was involved in writing it, in its production and its transmission and its delivery to us 2,000 years and thousands of years on from when it was written. In fact, here's what I wrote in the inside cover of it a few years back so that when I do read it, I get into the right framework for what I believe about it. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. 
Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, its decisions unchangeable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to strengthen you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveller's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword and the Christian's character. Read it with faith, frequently, prayerfully. Follow it and it will lead to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. Ivy is a Bible-believing church. Ivy is a Bible-teaching church. I don't want to just give you my opinions My opinions are worth as much as anybody else's, but I can give you my opinions about what the Bible says and you can weigh that and you've got a responsibility to be be able to to assess what I say and line it up against the Bible. In the same way, when you read a book like this, it cannot replace, it should not replace what you believe and understand about the Bible. It should enhance it. It should help you to be able to trust it more. It can give you new ideas and fresh insights. And I know that Mark Battison would say exactly the same thing because he's a Bible-believing teacher. And today's focus is from one of the chapters in the book, it's called Praying Hard. And as part of the series, they give you ideas to preach on the title from the book. And pretty much, to be honest with you, they encourage you to read certain bits of the book and, uh, and, and they repeat that and they say, you know, teach on this and help people to, to do that. And the emphasis today, of course, is on persistence in prayer. And he links some ideas and some stories and some Bible passages together that he writes about in the book about how praying can be hard at times, about how you can sometimes feel like giving up when you're praying. Maybe because you didn't get the answer that you wanted or it didn't come yet. But it's about how... Just not giving up on prayer, ever. We talked about it in the week at staff meeting and Emma Gaze said to me, well, do you know what? Some of the youth in the church here at Ivy are saying, I've kind of given up on prayer because I did pray and I didn't get the answer that I thought I was going to get or for whatever reason, or I'm praying about this, these things, various things and it doesn't seem to be working and so I'm, I'm giving up on prayer, which I think is really sad because if, if young people are feeling like that, I bet there's some older people here who are feeling like that too. And if that's you, if you're kind of there or you're in danger of nearly getting there in terms of giving up on prayer, well, I've got something to say to you. In fact, Jesus has got something for you to hear today. How do you pray hard when praying is hard? So you don't give up. And Mark Batterson's notes to help preachers bring some really good stuff. For example, I'll quote him. He says, success is a derivative of persistence. Then he gives an example. More than a decade ago, Anders Ericsson at Berlin's Elite Academy of Music divided violinists into three groups, world-class soloists, good violinists, and those who were unlikely to play professionally. All started playing around roughly the same age and practiced around the same amount of time until the age of eight. That's when their practice habits diverged. The researchers found that by the age of 20, the average players had logged about 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinists totaled around 8,000 hours, and the elite performers set the standard with over 10,000 hours. You might have heard of this, but it's called the 10,000-hour rule. While there is no denying that innate ability dictates some of your potential, your potential is only tapped by persistent effort. Persistence is the magic bullet. And the emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. In study after study of composers, basketball players, 
fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players and master criminals. This number comes up again and again. So I think that's really interesting stuff. And I agree, persistence pays. Nobody just got great at anything. And then when he wants to link it to prayer and he gets into the Bible, he uses a passage from the New Testament, a story of Jesus. And to be honest with you, it's a kind of go-to one for persistence. So I can understand that this is the one that he would use. And in my opinion, he does use a right passage because Jesus says this is exactly what he's telling this story for. But, and I've met Mark Batterson and he's a big bloke, so I don't want to argue with him too much. But I hope he wouldn't mind me saying that I feel that he actually uses the right story in perhaps the wrong way to make his point. Because he does so, rather than carefully reading it and then finishing the story, he takes it effectively a little bit out of context. And so what I'm trying to do today is to say to you, this is what I do when I'm looking at, I'm trying to look at what the Bible actually says, not just what other people say about what the Bible says. So... I think that he makes the wrong application from this passage, both here and in the book. That isn't to discourage you from reading the book. It's a great book. Study it and discuss it. This is the kind of thing I hope you'll do in grow groups. You'll say, well, I'm not so sure about that. And discuss it. So here's the passage. Why don't you read it with me? One day, is it up on the screen? I can't see anymore. Yeah. One day, say it out loud. Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then Mark Batterson, this is what he says, this point of that story is, I'll quote him. The parable of the persistent widow shows us what praying hard looks like. Knocking until your knees are raw, crying out until your voice is lost, pleading until your tears run dry. Praying hard is praying through, and if you pray through, God will come through. The phrase used to describe the widow's persistence, she's wearing me out, is boxing terminology. Praying hard is going 12 rounds with God. A heavyweight prayer bout with God can be excruciating, exhausting, but that's how the greatest prayer victories are won. Praying hard is more than words. It's blood, sweat and tears. Praying hard is two-dimensional. Praying like it depends on you, working like, sorry, praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on you. It's praying until God answers, no matter how long it takes, doing whatever it takes to show God you're serious. Desperate times call for desperate measures and there is no more desperate act than praying hard. The persistent widow wouldn't take no for an answer. That's what made her a circle maker. The judge knew she would never give up. The judge knew she would circle his house until the day she died if she didn't get justice. The judge knew there was no quit in the persistent widow. Does the judge know that about you? That's what he says. And I've heard that kind of application before. As I say, Mark Batterson is not the first person to make it and he won't be the last. And I think early on, I mean, I remember years ago, I kind of remember giving something of that application myself because it seemed to me that was what it was about. But actually, as I've looked at it more and more, I've got a problem with that interpretation. 
Because actually the Bible tells us the reason why Jesus told the story. So we don't give up praying. Jesus, it says, told the story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And then he tells the story. And we already heard it. There's only two characters in the story. Because we don't know who the enemy is or the circumstances or the problem. One character is the widow. And in first century AD in Judea, people listening would immediately picture a poor, unemployed, probably unemployable person with no status, no power, no connections. And she has some problem, we don't know what it is, but an enemy is putting pressure on her. Maybe he's about to take her kids away. Maybe she's about to lose her house, all of her possessions because she's in debt or whatever. She's got no protection against her oppressor. So she books herself in to see the judge in the city, to throw herself on his mercy and to ask for his help. But you know what? That's just the start of her problems because it turns out the judge that she ends up with, she's on the list of a guy who doesn't care at all. He doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about people. He certainly doesn't care about her. The only people he's interested in will be anybody who's going to pay him a bribe. He's going to be interested in listening to what they've got to say. But most of the time, all he wants to do is play golf. He's just busy. So, what do you do if you're the widow? When you've gone and you've presented your case, you never even got halfway through it, you got thrown out of the courtroom. What are your options? Well, she says to herself, do you know what? I haven't got any other options. I've got no connections. I've got no power. I've got no authority. I've got nobody to be able to help with me. This horrible judge is my only hope. So somehow I've got to get him to help, even though he really doesn't want to. I'm going to have to make him. I'm going to have to do a petition online. I'm going to have to be on his Facebook page. I'm going to have to follow him home from work tonight and stand outside his house and weep and wail. And when he goes to the restaurant, I'm going to be looking in through the window at him when he's there with all of his friends. And no matter where he goes, I'm going to be in his face, just begging and weeping and wailing and crying and moaning until either he arrests me or gives up or I die. That's it. And eventually, guess what? It works. This corrupt official finally says, I can't stand any more of this woman. I've had just about enough of listening to her complaining. So I'll do it. Write the order, sign the papers, do whatever it takes. Just get rid of her so I don't have to see her ever again. Now, here's the problem with using the story like that. It doesn't help me to pray. It doesn't do what Jesus says it's meant to do. It doesn't make me think... You see, when I start to pray, if I start to see myself as being like this powerless, despised woman, this poor woman who in that society would have no rights, no legal rights at all, and also to see God as this uncaring, aloof judge, far too busy to get involved with my little problems, how does that encourage me to never give up and to always pray? I'm sorry, Jesus, but if that's the case, those two pictures don't really help me. So what if that isn't actually what is happening here? Now, a lot of people, if you pray, you pray like a widow. You pray like that widow. You pray like you're poor, like you're penniless, like you're powerless. And if that's the case, 
you, you know, really, you better handle most things yourself. And if, only if it gets super massive, huge and desperate would you ever get to bother God with it. And the problem with that is, the reason we would pray like that is because we feel like we haven't really got a close relationship or connection to God because we view him as this judge. Lots of people pray like that. Lots of Christians pray like that. Like God's this unwilling judge. You know, that's the story in the picture. This judge only cares about himself. And so if you see God like that, you're going to have to get ready to wear him down with your, you're going to have to log so many hours of prayer. And when you get to a magic number, or when you get so many other people all joining in together with you to be able to pray the same thing, etc. I mean, we have these campaigns. I'm just asking the question, not about the practice, but sometimes the heart behind it can be. If I just get enough people together and we pray for long enough and long enough and long enough and long enough and if we go to bed really late and if we get up really early and we sweat and we shout and we cry and we fast and we somehow pull down a blessing from the iron gates of heaven because we've banged on them long enough, we've woken God up and he's roused himself and got involved with our problem because we basically bothered him enough. When I was in the police, I remember I'd only just started coming to church, becoming a Christian, and the guy I was working with, we were sitting in the van. I'll never forget, we saw these people. It was a Sunday morning, I was working, and we saw people going into church, and I said, oh, I've started going to church, you know. And he said, oh, don't tell me you've become a God-botherer. <laughs> that was the phrase he used. You're a God-botherer now. And you know what? Do you think God, do you think it's possible that you could bother God? Now I know God. I don't think I ever bother him. I don't see God as somebody that I could bother at all. If you think you bother God, you'll only pray when it's desperate. You'll only pray when it's absolutely, you totally desperately need it. And then you'd better pray loud. You'd better declare. You'd better call stuff down. You'd better bind and loose and take authority and gather everybody together as much as possible because maybe one day you will finally wrestle a blessing out of God's cold, indifferent hand. The judge here says, she's beating me up, so I give in. You could translate it, she's going to give me a black eye. So, Prayer like this, if this is the picture, is you having to bang on the big brass doors of heaven with Bruce's fists and waiting for a long, long time. Don't bother God with anything unless you really need to. But if it's desperate enough for you to pray about, it's desperate enough for you to weep and wail about and twist God's arm until he gives in. And you know what? In my opinion, because you've got to take my, take my, don't take my opinion, check my opinion. I believe that's a completely wrong view of prayer because it comes from a completely wrong view of God and a completely wrong view of you, of who you are. See, the truth is, I don't believe Jesus ever, ever wanted you to think of God like that because when Jesus said, when his disciples came to him, they could see that he prayed. They could see he prayed like nobody ever prayed. They said to him, teach us to pray. What did he say? When you pray, he didn't say, say 
our judge. No, he didn't say that. He said, say, our father, Abba, Daddy. Literally. You can talk to God like he's your dad. That close. If you've ever had an earthly father you were close to, you can talk to him like that. If you've never had an earthly father you were close to, you've got a heavenly father you can talk to like that now. He's tender. He's responsive towards you. He loves you. So what if Jesus isn't comparing God to the judge, but actually he's contrasting God to the judge in the picture? What if, what if God isn't comparing you to the powerless widow who has to wear him down? In fact, what if he's saying you're nothing like that to God? See, if we would just let Jesus finish what he says, he'll tell us what it means and what he wants us to know. And this changes everything. It can change everything in terms of how we pray. So that actually you'll get to the point where you always pray and you can pray about anything. and You never have to give up. Because it carries on right on. After verse 6, he says this straight on. Listen to what the unjust judge says. This is the contrast. And will not God... It's like there's an unjust judge. Listen to what he says. Will not... God, your Father who loves you, bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. See, this isn't a study in comparisons. It's a study in contrasts, in opposites. Jesus is saying, when you pray, remember, you are never, ever, ever, ever a forgotten abandoned widow without relationship to the judge. You are, in fact, completely the opposite of that. God's face is towards you. You're not just a face in a crowd. You're not just a number on a list. Your problems, there's nothing so big you can't talk to him about it. There's nothing so small that he won't be interested in it. You are totally unlike that judge. And God is totally unlike that judge. You're totally unlike that widow. So persevere. Keep on praying. Ask again. Go on, ask again. You can ask again. Ask again. Wait and see. God's going to act. Could act really quickly. Just be willing to pray. He's willing to listen. You are God's chosen ones. I love that. You're his chosen ones. You're not abandoned. You're not, you've been adopted. You're not hopeless. You are heirs of the promises. You're not forgotten. You're family. You're his child. Jesus is saying, you matter to God. Jesus says, you're his chosen one. The Greek word, I looked into it, literally means selected favourite. Yeah, that is amazing. You're his selected favourite. How is he going to change how you pray when you know you're his selected favourite? Like a chocolate box. Oh, there, that's the one. <laughs> so when you pray, don't ever give up because God is always listening and he's never like the unjust judge and you are his special favourite. When my kids were younger, they always knew no matter what, and you can ask them this, at times I got very busy, but I was never too busy when they needed help. We were laughing the other week about how one of them used to get off school a lot because they knew when Zoe was at work and they wouldn't do it then, but when so they would do it then because I would be the one who answered the phone. They get the school to ring up because they weren't very well and weren't very well. And dad would drop everything and come and get them and do it. I was a total soft touch. There's Emma, she's admitting it. <laughs> See, 
I could be in meetings even now. And to be honest with you, not, not, not everybody has my phone number, my mobile number. And if you do ring me, I might send you a message saying, can't talk right now because I'm in the middle of something. But if it's my kids, I, I don't care who I'm with. I'm answering the phone. Because they've got priority. Because they've got a different relationship. So, do you know you can call God and you can call him Father? Do you know you can never bother him? You can never bother him. You're never a bother to him. You're a delight to him. So when you pray, he loves to hear the sound of your voice. He tells all the angels just to be quiet for a bit because he wants to hear what you've got to say. Does that encourage anybody to always pray and to never give up? And actually, I thought... As I thought about preparing for the talk, another image came to mind from the Bible about what this relationship is like when you pray. It's, you know, it's so close. It's an intimate picture of a child and a father. But maybe, like I said, you never had a dad you were close to and that picture isn't the one for you. But there's another image of being a chosen one that will help you always pray and never give up. And in a few minutes' time, I'm going to invite you to come and, to, to come and stand down the front. And we'll have some people who go around and pray with you. Maybe just put a hand on you. But even to come down the front and kneel here. And maybe it's something, it's something so big that you gave up on prayer with it. And you kind of think, I couldn't even keep, I couldn't ask again. I'm going to invite you to come and to kneel down here and to say, I'm going to ask again. It could be something so small. You think, well, I, you know, God's spinning planets. He's got all kinds of busy stuff happening. I don't really want to bother him with that. No, you come and ask again for that thing and to come down the front and to be able to ask again something that you kind of gave up on prayer and invite you to come and pray. And the reason that you can do that, the reason I can tell you that I can know that there's nothing so big that is outside of his interest and there's nothing so small that he, that he doesn't want to listen to it either. And this is the picture. Whether you're a man or a woman today, the Bible says when, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we become something called the bride of Christ. And just a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here because we were at a wedding in Mallorca. My son, Joel, who married Rachel, who we met while he's been out in South Africa for the last couple of years. And it was the most fantastic occasion. But on the day, she, she was really ill, the bride. And it was a wedding day. And she'd been ill for days and she was wiped out. And she could hardly even speak. So even when she was saying the words... I could only, it was only me and Joel could really hear her say it because she'd lost her voice. So we're going to watch this video now. Yeah, you see how the uh, groom loves the bride? His eyes are just on her all the time. Is there, is there anything so, so big he wouldn't do it? Is there anything so small he wouldn't do it? He's just there, isn't he? Every, I love just the, the, the way the picture is like, he's just attentive. And it, it, on that day, it's even to a whisper. has to be. That's what it's like when you pray. Does that help you to always pray and never give up? If you could picture yourself like that, that's the picture of how loved you are by your heavenly Father, and by Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. So, what is it? Something that you were giving up on. What I want to encourage you to do is to spend some time this, this week, when you pray, pray like a bride, not like a widow. Pray like a bride, not like a widow. And we know, sometimes when God answers, he answers yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. Sometimes we do have to persist and we have to carry on and we have to ask again. But, but it's with a sense of knowing God's heart that 
his delays don't denote indifference in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes he wants us to grow. Like we sang before, it's in the waiting that he's doing some things that we don't even know. But trust his heart. And that encourages me to pray big, bold prayers that honour God. And sometimes you do have to keep on praying and pray through till you get that answer. And we'll look at that in those of us who are in grow groups this week to be able to do that. Jesus says this, never give up, always pray. Was there something that you were praying for and you haven't seen the answer yet? Don't give up. Give it up to God. In a minute, come and pray down here. Was it a healing need? Maybe there's something that, that you, you, you kind of think, well, I'm just going to have to live with this condition now. I want to encourage you to come and to ask God again. So why don't you start getting ready? And why don't you move down to the front now if you want to do that, just as I carry on talking, the band come up. Because we're going to pray bold prayers. We're going to pray specific prayers. We're not going to pray like widows. We're going to pray like a bride who knows that they're loved by God. And maybe that's something you've never even had that experience of knowing Jesus like that before, of, of praying like that for anything. Just that could be your first prayer. God, would you show me what you really like and how much you, you, you really love me and, and to enter into that. So if you're willing to, brilliant. Some people already do that. Why don't you just come and kneel down the front if you're able to kneel physically and we'd love to pray for you. Anybody else? For, maybe there was something. It could be you've even given up on yourself. You know, your own ability to be able to, um, to, to handle it. Good. Give yourself, all of you, to Jesus like uh, John was saying before in that offering talk about we come and we give ourselves first to him Lord we want to pray we want to pray boldly we want to pray specifically things that we were in danger of giving up on now we're giving up to you instead see yourself as the loved one the beloved so many times that's what the, the Bible describes us as the beloved so there's no greater love there's no human love even a father's love even the love of a heavenly of, of a human groom for a bride doesn't doesn't touch this love he's got all the power of heaven ready and waiting and now he's looking at you and I need to tell you he's looking at you with such love right now and he's huge we talked before about how he he holds the stars in place. He's large and in charge and he made the universe and he upholds it all by his mighty word of power. So he's that big. So nothing is too difficult for him, but nothing is too small that it doesn't matter to him. So ask again. For you, for somebody else maybe. I just pray now, Lord, that you would come to all these unspoken desires except they've been spoken to you and that you would begin to answer our prayers according to your goodness and mercy and your power and your love for us thank you we don't have to grovel we don't have to groan and moan shout and throw ourselves around we can just trust your eyes on us and you love us and more than anything the Lord wants you to know you are his chosen you are his selected favourite. You are his beloved. He's interested and he's able. Holy Spirit, come now and just touch our hearts with this knowledge. Transform our, our vision. Any faulty vision we've had of, of what you're like and 
what we're like. Thank you, Jesus. You transform us. You make us your bride. We're loved. You are loved. You are lovely to him. You are lovely to him. You're gorgeous to him. It's just like there's nobody else like you. When he looks at you, he says his heart is captivated by you. You're the beloved. Ask. Ask from that. Because he's waiting and he's listening. Ask again. Ask for that touch, that miracle, that provision, that healing. Jesus said an amazing thing. He said, if you if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. What's that about? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray in your name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the one who loves us, who saved us, who's bought us for himself. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.